0: listening to The Weekly Brew with Austin Statton and Jeremy Paxton. It's time to sit back, relax, and be informed.
1: Welcome to episode 105 of The Weekly Brew Podcast. My name is Austin Statton. I'm joined in studio by Jeremy Paxton. Derek Fogle, and Hunter Atkins are going to be joining us here in just a few moments. We're going to sit down and talk little Astros baseball as the, uh, the Astros continue to struggle uh, right now, uh, you know, since the All-Star break, to be perfectly honest. And also, we'll get into a little bit of Texans preseason, Deshaun Watson talk. And uh, yeah, it's, uh, it, Jeremy, it's, you know, even though you're not going to be here for Derek and the Hunter segment, uh, glad to have you here, man.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm glad to be here. I'm actually looking forward to what is probably a very colorful uh, discussion to be had between Derek and Hunter about baseball, and uh, I
1: can't imagine what you guys would cover. <laughs> well, <laughs> okay. So the reason why we are not having you discuss baseball is because baseball is not your forte. It's not. Absolutely
0: not. No, it is, it is a negative amount to my forte. I, I have only a passing interest to numb the pain that is caused by a <laughs> lack of real sports, uh, which is about to be thankfully abated by the, begin, by, by the beginning of college football season and
1: NFL. Well, so I have to ask you this. I mean, we're just a few weeks away from college football returning, a few weeks away from the NFL returning. Uh, preseason football is going on right now. Have you been watching any preseason football? I mean, we, we saw Deshaun uh, Watson's debut with the Texans earlier this week against the Panthers. Texans play the Patriots coming up this Saturday at Energy Stadium. I mean, have you been tuning in to any of the games?
0: Uh, some of the headlines. I don't really watch preseason because it's not really representative
1: at all about what the real season is going to be about. But do you like watching and seeing what some of these prospects can do and what they might be able to do for the Texans, the Cowboys, I don't know, the Saints, any any team that might strike your interest.
0: I'll tell you what, I'm, I'm really stoked to watch Rico Gathers uh, do as well as he has uh, for the Cowboys, getting his second TD of the preseason. That's amazing. I mean, this is a guy that played basketball in college and has now transitioned into the NFL pretty seamlessly. So that's exciting to watch. I also have been really pleased to see J.J. Watt come out from his back surgery and do really well. He shined, um, you know, in that first game. Um, what against the Steelers, and um, I'm really pleased. Not oh, quite the Steelers. No way. Sorry, It was Panthers. Steelers Panthers? No, 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 no. Okay, fake yeah. news. <laughs> fake news. <laughs> Hashtag fake news. No. Um, I, I'm I'm really pleased to see both Deshaun Watson and JJ Watt look pretty good. But I don't I don't really pay attention a whole lot. The last game of the preseason is always fun to watch because it is an absolute free for all. You, know, you get your starters out there, and it's just a bunch of trash but it's actually kind of fun to watch
1: yeah so to me i think uh first off rico gathers he had a touchdown in the hall of fame game uh, looked good had a guy draped all over him he made some spectacular plays on saturday night uh as the cowboys were playing the la rams out the uh, coliseum in los angeles and he had another touchdown pass or touchdown reception he's a guy that you know he was on the practice squad last year for the cowboys he looks like he can make that 53 man roster and of course he's learning from one of the best tight ends in all of football. And, you know, to have Jason Witten kind of mentor him, he looks like a guy, you know, that could be on the Cowboys 53 man roster and have a long term successful career in the NFL. I mean, we've seen this time and time again from former college basketball players who have made an impact in the NFL and have gone on to, you know, Great things. I mean, Tony Gonzalez, for example, Hall of Famer, played basketball. Yeah, well, I remember like when uh, Rico would play at Baylor. Like,
0: that was kind of a comment that like I would always make to people that that guy is so huge, he should try out for the football team. And it was even something I think that got mentioned quite often is that this guy like has... NFL like he has he definitely has the body body. yeah he has the body he's got he's got he's got the athletic ability I mean there's no doubt this guy is like a multi-sport kind of player and so um I'm I'm looking forward to see what he does on the field but you know so far um, really good. Really good.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So Rico gathers. We spoke a little bit about him last week with, uh, David smoke from ESPN central Texas. So check out that interview, uh, from episode 104. If you want to, uh, you know, give that a listen, but really quickly on the Texans, I think Deshaun Watson looked good. Granted it was against second and third string, uh, players for the Panthers. Uh, you didn't have like Luke Kuechly playing or any, anyone like that, but I, I, I thought he did well. Um, I was a little concerned that, you know, he was 15 to 26. Uh, he was just four of 12 on throws beyond 10 yards that that to me was a little bit concerning but one of the positives is the offensive line played terrible right deshaun watson showed his mobility showed his athleticism he showed that he could avoid the hit by running out of bounds or sliding and that's something that we saw with rg3 uh you know his his body just was banged up so much so we've got to give uh, Deshaun Watson, some credit for his awareness. I thought Zach Cunningham, uh, their third round draft pick out of Vanderbilt, uh, did pretty well. He led the team with eight total tackles. I uh, didn't even have a missed tackle. Uh, so, he, you know, I, I, think that he is a guy at the linebacker position that could really help out with, you know, Whitney Merciless, uh, Brian Cushing, uh, and, and, just the broader team, uh, you know, Roger McKinney. I, I, I think Zach Cunningham is, is going to be a star for the Texans organization There's another guy who I thought also performed pretty well, and that was Deontay Foreman, who is the running back out of Texas. Of course, he was worked and worked and worked under Charlie Strong last year, won the Dirk Walker Award. He had something like 79 yards in his preseason debut. I I think you've got to like that. I mean, Does any of that get you fired up to want to watch the game on Saturday against the Patriots?
0: Um, I'm going to watch the game on Saturday because it's against the Patriots. Um, I, I'm not... Patriots are like the Yankees, right? Yeah, yeah, they're kind of like the Yankees. Like, you know, we down here in Texas, we're not like the biggest fans of the North. Um, and definitely the Patriots are like the team that everyone loves to hate, um, no matter where you're from. So definitely going to be tuning in simply because of the opponent. But um, I'm... Yeah, I mean, at, I, I just... I have a hard time getting into preseason just I hear you man. Yeah, <laughs> it, just, it just doesn't just doesn't do anything for me. Yeah, but that's totally fair. That being said, um college football is what? 2 weeks
1: away, 3 weeks away? This is like we have two more Saturdays without yeah. college football. Yeah, without I, college I, football. I'm stoked. And
0: but, then uh the what, first Baylor game coming out September here. 2nd. Yeah, September 2nd. So yeah, we, be... we will both be at that game, I assume. Are you going to that game? I'm absolutely going
1: to that game. I, I,
0: I'm, I'm a little nervous. I don't know what to expect. I'm hoping for a bowl game, but who knows.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I, I think it's just going to be a lot of excitement to see what Matt Rule can do in that first year, and uh, who knows? I mean, will it be successful? I, time will tell.
0: Yeah. Speaking of Matt Rule, he's kind of one of those interesting coaches in college football, um, along with many others that kind of made a list yeah, and uh, here w- recently. What was that list he referring to yeah well from uh pat 40 here he kind of made a list of like the 25 most interesting college football coaches of course i think his number one is right on that being mike gundy um who his he said like the like the mullet-headed rattlesnake killer or something like that who's <laughs> almost 50 right he just turned 50 he just turned 50 week. right okay so this is and the i guy, think everyone and their mom made that joke right this week <laughs> yeah the the he's 50 now 10 years uh, out outside of that amazing college football rant that will forever be um, in the history books. Like, I, I don't think you can be a college football fan without... Without knowing. Yeah, anything. without knowing, like,
1: I'm a man, I'm 40. Yeah, obviously. totally fair. But uh, so football season is just around the corner. We're actually going to have an interview with Stuart Mandel uh, here in just a few weeks to preview the college football season. That's something that we are uh, very excited about. Uh, look for that just the week before the college football season starts. Uh, but uh, really quickly, I want to make sure that... Uh, Everyone is aware of our episode 100 interview with Mark Bowden, and he spoke of the tension between the U.S. and the DPRK following his July-August uh, cover issue for the Atlantic Monthly, and we spoke with him for about 20 minutes on this situation, and uh, it was a great interview. I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. He provided some great analysis and insight. And lo and behold, this week, uh, there was a lot of rhetoric that was thrown back and forth between the Trump administration and the DPRK on fire and fury and launching nuclear weapons at Guam. What do you make of all of this? Well, I think what
0: was interesting is like the president, I mean, he's, he's sort of known for these like unscripted off the cuff remarks that I think that
1: comes back to To many
0: people seems, um, unfocused and amateur, but, um, he, he, he doubled down on it. He didn't back down at all. I mean, the guy, uh, the guy talks like he tweets sometimes, and um, I, I thought what was interesting. He followed that up, and he said those weren't, you know, they, those 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 words might not have been strong enough for what. I kind of have
1: issue with that, though. He, I mean, he he followed up by saying the U.S. is locked and loaded. I mean, well, I don't I don't think war is the best situation. No,
0: absolutely not. No, and I don't I don't think that he thinks that either. I mean, I'm I'm assuming that that. He's a rational person. Um, I, I think this is this is a this is maybe a, a play to get China involved. I think this is it, trying to amp up pressure on China because conflict in the region is. Um, it's not
1: good for anybody. Yeah, especially it's, China. it's
0: disadvantageous for their interests. I think that they are in a position now where they're either going to get involved or they're going to sit back. And you know, they they said there was a comment made, and then the one of the Chinese uh, state-run newspapers that that they would stay neutral should the North attack. Us or South Korea, but if we attacked them first, they would have to come in on the side of North Korea, um, which is, sets up kind of a scary prospect. Um, should that actually be true? But um, I, I don't know. I, I think the Trump administration is really trying to amp up the pressure on them to, you know, maybe remove this guy. You know, but who knows? I, I I don't know. I I think that his comments, you know, if we're looking at the history of Trump, they're not too far off.
1: They're they're not too far off. I don't know that they were the best comments to make. I think. I think what he said, you know, like you've never seen before, I think that's just a qualifier that he used in so many of his statements. And I think that just kind of raised eyebrows a little bit. I mean, one of the things that I think is a little bit concerning is the fact that, you know, Guam is is a key military base for the United States, not too far uh, from Japan, not too far from Korea, not too far from uh, China. And uh, North Korea has said that they will have plans finalized to send four missiles that will lay into the waters near Guam by mid-August. And if that happens, what is the response? I mean, does the United States try to shoot them down? Do they let the missiles fall? I mean, because I I think if the U.S. is in a tough position, if they try to shoot down the missiles with the THAAD, uh, you know, a defense system that is set up in Guam and then also South Korea, what if those missiles don 't work i mean what if what if that fails? I mean what does that say about regional security for your allies in the region
0: i don't know that's that's actually a really good, good question i 've actually never thought of that particular angle before i did um, I did read some comments or at least some analysis uh, from the Governor of Guam, who happens to be a Republican who is apparently a big fan of trump's stance on this because of course he 's thinking about his tiny little island that he 's responsible for and, he's, and he has the full backing of the president in this regard so Um, I I think if you're on Guam, you're you're probably feeling okay, given Trump's stance. But at the same time, yeah, I mean, we're not really... I mean, if we're looking at our role in that region, we're not just responsible for Guam. We're responsible for Japan. We're responsible for South Korea. We have a sizable military presence there. And any attack by the North would immediately endanger the lives of tens of thousands of U.S. servicemen, and not to mention our allies, uh, the South Koreans,
1: if that were to happen. Absolutely. And uh, just for... I guess, historical sake, here's an interview clip from 1999 of Donald Trump speaking on North Korea. We're going to go ahead and play it for you right now.
2: First I'd negotiate. I would negotiate like crazy, and I'd make sure that we tried to get the best deal possible. The biggest problem this world has is nuclear proliferation. And
0: we have a country out there, North Korea, which is sort of wacko, which is not a a bunch of dummies, and they are going out and they are developing nuclear weapons. And they're not doing it because they're having fun doing it. They're doing it for a reason. And wouldn't it be good to sit down and really negotiate something and ideally negotiate? Now, if that negotiation doesn't work, you better solve the problem now than solve it later, Tim. And you know it. And every politician knows it. And
1: nobody wants to talk about it. Fair point. I mean, he said that you have to get rid of nuclear proliferation on the Korean peninsula back in 1999 before they have weaponized nukes. And right now... You have to try diplomacy. You have to try back channel communications and that's there's speculation going on right now that that is what the United States is doing back channel c- communications with the north it's a scary situation right now it is and he, well here here's a scary prospect i mean if we look at
0: um it, Robert Kaufman. Uh, he's a professor of public policy at Pepperdine, one of my alma maters. Uh, he was quoted as saying, um, you know, if we're look, going back in the history of this, of this whole ordeal, the North Korean deal of 1994 is the prototype for why open societies should not negotiate arms control re- agreements with rogue regimes. And that brings to mind one that was made very recently with Iran. Right, Iran yeah. I think that we're playing out this exact same scenario in 10 to 15 years with Iran. And I'll, I'll be honest, you know, North Korea is scary, but Iran is really scary, uh, given the fact that their leadership. As, seems much more unhinged than even you know. Little um well, it's,
1: it's interesting that you you mentioned Iran. I, there was a documentary um, probably about a year or two ago that I watched, and it was talking about uh, Americans visiting Iran, and uh, it said that you know they are very friendly to Americans that are actually there. They hate the government of the United States, but they are they love American culture. They like Americans coming to visit. They just don't like the government. Sure. Oh, it's and not. It's, in the, it's the north, north, it seems completely opposite. It seems it's, it's death to America. Sure. They hate the government. They hate the people. They kidnap the people. It's different.
0: Oh, it's, it's far different. And I think the um, Otto Warmbier. Uh, Case is a perfect example of that. Um, I actually had a buddy from high school who went to North Korea here recently really? for vacation. Yeah, and he made it out fine. Um, he, but everything he, everything he, I didn't talk to him about it, but his Facebook was a was a pretty clear diary of what happened. Everywhere he went, it was very controlled. You know, everywhere he went, they, he was they were accompanied. They were, company, they were um, there. Seemed to be people set up there to make it look like they were doing things when they actually weren't. Um, it, in other words, it was, it's very scripted for tourists, right? It makes it seem like that there's a world that that there's a world. You know, this is what it it's is. Propaganda, it's actually, yeah, it's exactly, right. exactly. It's propaganda. So, um, it those those are two different countries, but. It's not the Iranian people that bother me. It's the Iranian regime itself. Right. Their statements about Israel, their statements about us, our allies. Um, it's all very, very terrifying. And the, my big problem is with the Obama administration's agreement with Iran essentially does in a number of years open up the door to them having nukes. And that's a huge problem. Um, I mean, we're, we're dealing with a nuclear North Korea. What do we do when Iran sells a nuke to an organization that they are funding, you know, like, a, not like quite an ISIS because they're fighting ISIS. Like a Hezbollah. But yeah, like a Hezbollah, right? right? Like a terrorist organization. Like, I mean, because these people That's have, It's a frightening situation. These people have absolutely no problem using nukes. I mean, they say so. These people are ready to die. Um, and so I, I, that's, that's really where, where this all goes. From from here with North Korea, I don't know. I'm, of yeah, course, it, in it, our interview with Mark Bowden, we had all these different scenarios that we could go down. But I mean...
1: He said none of the four. Scenarios <laughs> exactly the outline, right. It's good. like, right.
0: What do we, well, crap, what do we do?
1: Yeah, so I would highly recommend checking out uh, Mark Bowden's interview. I, I think it's very timely to what is going on this past week with uh, the United States and North Korea. And again, that's episode 100 of the Weekly Brew Podcast. Uh, you could check it out on our iTunes page or you can check it out on weeklybrewcast.com. Uh, it's there for you, and also, uh, you know, we also recommend that you check out uh, Mark's latest book, and that's Way 1968. And uh, Jeremy, if you want to check out Mark's book, Way 1968, what is the best way to find it? Uh, best way to find it, obviously,
0: is through Audible.com. Uh, this episode of the Weekly Brew Podcast is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and a 30 day free trial at audibletrial.com dot com backslash weekly brewcast. There are more than 180 thousand titles to choose from on your iPhone, Android, or Kindle device. That's audible. dot com backslash weekly brewcast. That, that was a decent job with the live read. Yeah, decent job. Yeah, why not? You know, yeah, I, yeah. I wasn't. I wasn't. I wasn't. Uh, I
1: wasn't expecting that, but hey, it just happened. It's, it's, it's spontaneity it's, here. It's that's like, that's like, what we do with the weekly brewcast. It's, like, <laughs> it's like a lot of
0: things in this podcast.
1: Yeah, exactly. So make sure to check out Way 1968 uh, on com. Just search Weekly Brewcast, and you can find it on there. Uh, also, uh, check out the interview with Mark in episode 100. It's something that we enjoy, and I think it's something that's very timely right now with what is going on between Donald Trump and uh, you know the, the Kim regime in North Korea. But uh, Jeremy... We want to make sure that uh, all of our listeners follow us on our social media platforms, and they can do that by just searching Weekly Brewcast on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Also, check out our website at weeklybrewcast.com. We post, post the, uh, the show rundown uh, each Monday morning on that website, and it gets pushed straight to your inbox if you subscribe. Uh, but you know, without further ado, we want to talk a little baseball. We want to talk a little Astros, maybe a little more in-depth on the Texans. So we've got Hunter Atkins and Derek Fogle joining myself here in studio. You're listening to the Weekly Brew. Joining us in studio this week is uh, Derek Fogel, Hunter Atkins. Guys, it's uh, great to have you. And uh, Derek, I, I know that you are a baseball expert, right? You break down pitchers. And the only baseball game on right now is Little League Baseball. Tell us about what is going on from this pitcher. I just, I just want to give you like some breakdown as
2: mechanics. What, what do you see? Well, there's absolutely no discipline. If you watch all of these little league pitchers, they just fall over their front foot. Like they could throw harder, but they're not strong enough. So we're watching these little kids right on this field where center field's two hundred and ten feet away. You can't even have a leadoff. So aside from the baseball itself being trash, everything about it is trash. There's no discipline, there's no strength. Hunter is dying over like, here. <laughs> I mean they don't they are so inconsistent and then we're glorifying a twelve year old, like, man, he tried so hard. I don't get it. I, I hate it. So you hate Little League baseball? I hate it. So How about what, what, do you, think what do you think? I played it? I made it very far. We made it to some I don't know district regional or something and I I still it was a step down at the time. I was playing travel baseball, which there were lead-offs, and it was real baseball. This is not real baseball. So
3: we're watching Connecticut versus Maine. I think the Maine pitcher, you know, he does seem like he's mixing his off-speed quite a bit, though.
2: <laughs> yeah, right. The, uh, I know how you feel about pitchers pitching backwards. Right, the gravity ball, where you throw it high enough, it's going to come down. Unfortunately
3: yeah. for him, at age 12, he has not had gravity affect his ball just yet. no. No, he's not. But, I mean, it's, it's atrocious. All
1: right. So enough about Little League Baseball. Uh, let's talk about the, uh, the professional team here in Houston uh, struggling. I mean, they, Wait, they... wait, wait. We need proper intros. All right, fine, fine. Proper intros. Hunter, great to have you back. Good to be back, Austin. Awesome. Thank you. And you've, you've killed it with some stories in the past, what, two weeks?
3: <laughs> That's right. I've <laughs> That's killed it. it with stories That's in the it. last two weeks. Um, yeah, if, if anybody's uh, listening and would like to see some of my work, uh, you can go to my Twitter, which is Hunter Atkins 35, or you can check me out at the dot And last week I wrote I wrote a uh, a long story about homelessness yeah. in Houston. Uh, it's been a very popular story because there's a woman who sleeps across the street from the ballpark, and she was uh, a matter of mystery to a lot of people. And this story tells her entire life story, why she is there, and why she will not leave. Um, and then this weekend, for anybody listening to this now, you can see a really fun story I did about the 1992 Astros uh, who were vacated from the Astrodome to make, room the for the, that's right, to make room for the Republican National Convention. So the Astros had to go on a 28-day road trip, the last of its kind. There's not been anything like that since. And it reminds me of the
1: Spurs, you know, having the long road trip that they have each uh, spring because of the uh, San Antonio Rodeo. They're actually put on the road for like three and a half weeks. Oh, wow. It, it, I mean,
3: granted, they're not playing every single day. Was it's there just, in, were, was there as much nudity with the Spurs as there was for this Astros team? I, I don't think that,
1: uh No. Probably not. I I I don't I don't think I so. Wanna, I,
3: before now that's on my mind. Let me just quickly tell uh, Derek introduce yourself. and I want to tell one story that didn't make the uh, the cut for what I wrote. So Derek, what's going on besides breaking down the finest in eleven and
1: twelve year old baseball? The and finest. when Austin
2: says the finest eleven and twelve year olds, he means it. Yeah, not to mention that the strike zone's the size of a batter's box. But uh, yeah, not a whole lot. Um, it's been kind of depressing covering the Astros just because they're on this lull. Yeah, so it kind of makes. Our job, we're kind of affected emotionally by it because everything's so easy when, you know, they're the best team in baseball. And so now that they're slumping off, it's just been kind of of a, uh, I don't know, it just feels like we're going downhill a little bit. It like wears on you since you're around them so much. We 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 will do some clubhouse dishing. Uh, Let me me just get the story out of the way because it's very funny.
3: So in the 1992 Astros, quite the misfit bunch, they would end up, of course, having two Hall of Famers with... BG and Bagwell. They had several All-Stars with Steve Finley, Luis Gonzalez, um, a guy named Pete Harnish yeah. was the ace then. Daryl Kyle was in that team. Uh, there, there, there's one incident that did not make my story. I will not identify the player, but I will tell you how it went. When the team was in a bit of a funk, this player took it upon himself to make everybody laugh. So he shows up one day to batting practice only in his helmet and cleats. <laughs> That's it. Takes batting practice in just helmet and cleats. That's it. Nothing in between. Got a huge, oh, Derek, I know how you feel about men, so I know you're, you, you have a look of disgust right now thinking about that. But I assure you it was for the sake of humor. You've been around naked men plenty, Derek. <laughs> okay. you like, well, you played for a team, you were in a locker room, you showered with other, other men, other boys. <laughs> I don't know why you're making that face. So he, so he comes out, he gets everybody to laugh. Now, a week later, he does the same routine and he does not get anybody to laugh. You know, you need to change it up. So he proceeds, in his natural uniform, to walk into the kitchen. And when he reemerges in the batting cage, he has lathered up his uh, genitals in peanut butter and inserted a banana into his rectum, then stepped into the batter's box and proceeded to crush it. Wow. so gross. Wow. It's 2017, Derek. (laughs) It's 1992. My fault. (laughs) So with that, dear reader... Listener, sorry. I'm used to that. With that dear listener, uh, enjoy uh, the image of one of the most immortalized uh, teams in uh, Astros history.
1: Very fascinating. Uh, good read. Check it out in the Houston Chronicle. Also, Hunter's uh, Twitter, at Hunter Atkins35. Uh, Derek, uh, let's jump back into the Astros. Uh, they went through this hot streak. They were they were on a roll. And it seems like since the All-Star break, you know, they're what, three, four games below 500. Uh, pitching hasn't been great from the starting rotation outside of peacock and maybe fires every now eighth and then eighth worst ERA in the yeah. league uh, uh, and as a result who is
3: the eighth worst ERA who Astros. who
2: we mean they've the eighth worst ERA team Nation ERA Eights. yeah in they- the last in the last stretch, I was—I was—I was, was about to say we need to qualify that because yeah. in the last twenty-five games. But overall, on the year, well, they were leading—they <laughs> were leading the AL for yeah, on overall in the right, year. Though it, the bullpen has the twenty-second, yeah, the, the
1: bullpen started off with what a sub-three ERA in April, a sub-four ERA in May, and then they just continue to get taxed as all these injuries struck the the starting rotation. I mean, how much is it? Is it just guys being hurt and and they'll you know start. Rolling once you get, you know, Correa back, once you get McCullers back, hopefully healthy. Or, or is there actual cause for concern that they could just be one and done in the playoffs?
2: I am not one of those guys that, you know, is sound the alarms, lets everybody panic because the Cubs went through this last year. They technically never got their stroke back, but they found the clutch hits in end of September and obviously October. So I'm not going to be sounding the alarm for everyone to panic because... The offense has carried them. They've continued to carry them technically, even though they're still not doing as well as they were. I don't see any reason why it couldn't continue to happen. With that being said, though, it doesn't look good when you're rolling into September and October with a rotation that is limping. Right or a bullpen that's not able to carry their own weight either. Well, so
1: not only that, but I mean, you can't even beat the worst team in the American League. I mean, you get swept by the Chicago White Sox, and you don't look good doing that. You you blow a game, uh, you know, in extra innings. Giles doesn't look great. I mean,
3: Devinsky has lost his touch.
1: Yeah, he has. I mean, who, who's who's the guy that you want in a situation to come in and get that key out and you know a high leverage situation in the postseason? Who by, is that by guy? default
3: it still is Devo. But do you trust
2: him now? I mean, it looks like he's been overworked, and I don't know, Liriano doesn't seem to be the answer oh that. My God. I, mean, I just want to go on record saying that remember when we argued about the trade, um, the trade deadline here in this room on this podcast? I don't remember what number it was, and you said you were adamant there were going to be a starter, and I said they're going to get a bullpen guy because it was going to be cheaper and it's not going to be what we want. I just want to go on record saying I said that. <laughs> And you can go listen it is, to that It is not for again. lack of trying that no, they did not get a starting pitcher, no. Derek. I just knew it would happen. I had a feeling because we're in this era of baseball that's hoarding prospects, right? Like even the Yankees have come up and are using their own prospects. Nobody's trading or buying these really big names anymore. So suddenly we put this ridiculous value on prospects who might not even pan out and might not even make it to the major leagues for one based on how contracts and other politics work in the game. So – this idea that, oh, we need to hold on to them there. The future is, I mean, it's erroneous. I, I will say one thing. Best team in baseball right now, clearly, LA Dodgers, 81 and
1: 34 at the time that we we're recording this. Uh, but they did go through a tough-ish stre- stretch to start the year. I mean, they were playing just over 500 baseball through the first 45 games of the season. I mean, you, you look at it, they were 23 and 18, uh, you know, f- 14 and 14 early on in the year. And so, you know, they struggled throughout the, the entire month of April half of may before they got on that roll, so i don't know is, is there hope that maybe this is just a bump in the road for the astros and they could figure things out yes
2: there's that's really the only way you embrace it because like if you look you already said how in the first half of the season the bullpen era was so much lower than it is now and even then obviously the starters were still healthy and that is just a testament to exactly what happens when you lose starters one through three you expect seven innings out of Four and five of your rotation, that's when you usually get a lot of bullpen work. And it's just kind of something that's known in the bullpen, like when your fourth and fifth starters are out there, all hands on deck, we're kind of all ready to go fifth inning and beyond. But when you have your one through three guys that are usually chewing up innings, you have it in your head, okay, it's probably going to be Harris, Davinsky, Giles. Those guys are on their their feet those days, they know they're probably going to get more action. Well, now, with the way things have been, it's all hands on deck every single day. I can tell you from spending my days in the bullpen, it's exhausting because you, as a bullpen pitcher, you know what situations you're usually going to be put in. So you'll get up, you'll move around a little bit, even though they don't tell you to. But when things are happening like they are for the Astros, you have these guys that are kind of on edge. You're constantly ready to go. You're worried each day you come out, like, how do I feel? Do I need to tell A.J. Hinch that I'm not ready to go? Because that's happened, and he's had to use those guys. And it shows up, right? It wears on your arm. It wears on your psyche. It wears on the entire team because then they come in. You start to get beat. You lose games. Things fall apart late. And I I feel like pitching is very, very mental. And maybe that's something you can speak of because I I, I look at, you know, uh,
1: what was it, 2004 – 2005, when uh, Albert Pujols hit that bomb off of Brad Lidge, Brad Lidge was never the same as an Astro. It took a change of scenery, him going to Philadelphia, before he was able to, you know, get back to his old ways. I think he went the entire season without blowing a save. But how much of it is mental, like, for those guys in the bullpen, knowing that, you know, I I don't have my stuff, but I'm I'm being told I have to go out there and get, you know, one or two innings of work tonight when, you know, I need rest on my arm. And then they get lit up.
3: How does that affect their psyche moving forward? Do me, do me a favor, Derek. When you answer this too, do it with a comparison between mental and the physical exhaustion. And either they could be different in how they affect a pitcher, or they could be related. Because cause I do think that when you talk about like the mental effect, or however you're going to explain it, Derek, like how that interacts with command would be interesting to me. Because I would think that physical exhaustion actually would have to... Be
2: would affect command more. But you toss. Okay, I could use a good example for this. When you are done in the bullpen, there's obviously a bullpen catcher, and you've been throwing, you're trying to, you know, rev it up, start getting some heat behind it, feel out your breaking balls, because you know you have eight more pitches once you go into the game. So while you're feeling it out in the bullpen, usually at the end you ask your catcher, like, hey, how'd it look? I, I felt like I was throwing pretty hard today, or it felt like my slider was good. They're the most brutally honest people. They're going to tell you what you may not want to hear. They're going to be like, oh, no, man, it's, you're not, you were heavier yesterday. And you're like, well, yesterday, I didn't think I had it. And then you got out that day, and you're like, wow, I really went through that day. So you're going to go out on the mound now. You're not sure. You're feeling good, but somebody's telling you that your stuff doesn't look that good. You're going out feeling good, though. You're like, oh, he must be, must be full of it. But then you go out there, and then you get knocked around a little bit. Yeah, things start to rattle around your mind. Pitching is is all mental, right? Look at Zach Grinky. He didn't want to play baseball. Then suddenly he realizes he does, comes back, and he's been one of the best in the game for ever since, what's that, like five years? Longer than that now. Yeah, It's been a while. But you have that as a bullpen guy where you're constantly, every single day it's different. For the starters, it's cyclical. Like, you know that you're playing once a week. So everything that you have during that week rides on that one game. So it's mentally more stressful if, like, if you have a bad outing, you hold on to that for a week. It's easier for those bad outings to snowball because you're constantly having to, like, push that out of your mind. Like, that's why when you're on a roll like Dallas Keuchel was, it's so easy to stay on one. Like, streaks and trends as a starting pitcher are hard to get out of because – you're stuck in whatever you did the previous start for four days. Right. So you just have to mentally get past that. It's a really hard thing to do. Like Lance McCullers, riding the wave, hit a wall. Now he's doing the exact opposite, right? He had an ERA over eight in the month of July, and he's stuck there. Because he's, he's, he's literally, you're just stuck. It's, it snowballed, hmm. and you don't know how to get out of it. It's a hard funk, but pitching is like the streakiest part of baseball. And the peaks and valleys for bullpen guys – happen a lot quicker than they do do for starters. I How tough that,
1: is it for McCullers to have that terrible stretch and then to go on the DL? I mean, that has to make it even more. Probably the best thing for him.
3: Really? Yeah, it gives him a mental break. Yeah. The, the also, he went on the DL with... Uh, discomfort. Discomfort. We're all using air quotes. We're all using air quotes. Yeah, which, by the way, he's not the, the only pitcher. Look at the other guys that have gone on with, quote, discomfort. Tony Sipp. He's having, like, career discomfort.
2: Yeah, he's so, like a shell of his former self. He had a former self
3: that wasn't a shell. When was well, he ever good? Yeah, it anyway, was good enough, but, right? But no, this is this probably is the best thing for Lance to give him a, a breather and a reprieve. And, uh, certainly, if the benefit is that come the end of September and October, he's effective again. I, I wanted to ask the Derek. Can you can you do a little more on how exhaustion? is going to affect a relief pitcher. So I think about Devenski. Right. He is, you, you said, you know, but can you trust him? They don't, they don't have a choice, right? I mean, he's going, there's no one, no one's going to replace him as a high leverage choice for A.J. Hinch. And A.J. doesn't like to use him on consecutive days, but he's used him on consecutive days, I, I, just from memory, anecdotally, he's done that. Once. two. No, 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 no I was. I was saying this, no, in the last two to three weeks, he's done it three times. Y- yeah. So... There was one
2: time he went three days in a row in throwing. Detroit. Yeah.
3: So I so which I covered that series. And um, anyway, you know, and Devo has been less effective. His command, his fastball command, has been bad. Do you think that that is a factor of him being tired and that makes it more difficult to command, or actually he might be masking an injury and that's what's affecting his command? Because he he I would say he is one of the most mentally, you know, like chill, even-keeled, focused guys uh, they have in that
2: team? So here's the thing. When a starter is going through a struggle, they get a bullpen in between their next outing. They have 40, 50 pitches to burn up two days before a start that they can work on things, try and feel things out. When you're in the bullpen, you don't have time for that. Right. You have to be ready every single day. So when those guys get in a funk or they're not feeling out their pitches very well, there's not really an opportunity for them to you know, stop have a bullpen, take a day after, because they need them almost every single day. So you're structuring trying to get them back on track around the schedule because you need literal days off. You need road trips, right? You need the time for them to be able to recover. And also, like some guys might want to long toss, like probably Giles. with He's a hard thrower. He probably likes to long toss. That's probably why Hinch doesn't throw, like to throw him more days in a row because that's how he keeps his velocity up, by throwing it hard 150, 180 feet, keeping it on a line. So it's difficult. Each guy is different. If you're a pitching coach or even a manager for that matter, you have like a different relationship with every single guy. You have to know their personality, how they like to operate their arm. Like For me, my pitching coach knew after I threw as a starter, the next day I would not pick up a baseball. I was not going to touch a baseball. It's true for these Astros too. Some guys probably like if if Giles threw 2 days in a row, he probably didn't warm up before the game. His only warm ups were going to happen if he had to go into the game because he's trying to give his arm a day off. So, it's very personal. Only the guy knows. Only the pitching coach might have an idea because he's trying to keep track of all of them, but For the physicality of it, it's just hard to work on your pitches because you don't have time as a bullpen guy because it's all hands on deck all the time. That's very interesting. Uh,
1: I I love being able to have you on here to break this stuff down. Somebody who actually knows sports. Yeah, Yeah, I mean... (laughs) I mean, it's great to always talk baseball. We talk baseball with a lot of people, but I think most of the time they're writers, not somebody who's playing and can give. That's played the position,
3: and that <laughs> Listen, can come in uh, and I give analysis. I still play in a men's league, in Houston
2: guys. <laughs> I think we need some hitting advice from Hunter.
3: See it swing hard, guys.
1: <laughs> First, close your eyes. But okay, okay. So speaking of hitting, uh, one guy who's been tearing the cover off of the ball the last two or three weeks, Alex Bregman. I mean, he he's a guy that. Uh, struggled honestly to start the year a lot of people were down on him but at the end of the day he's a guy hitting was hitting 24250 at the bottom of your lineup not nearly as bad of a situation as you had last year when you had multiple guys hitting below 220 uh but he's you know what hitting 27280 right now looks good uh is he a guy that can help propel this team through I don't know this funk or whatever you want to call it
2: um I'm not sure I struggle to rely on guys that are going to hit, you know, like 10 or 15 home runs a year and mostly are like gap to gap. It's hard to rely on them for like the big hit. So he could carry them for little moments like these. But to speak to his improvement, I think what it is, his a scouting report for a guy like him, small right-handed hitter likes to go the other way, is just heavy inside finish him breaking ball down. I mean, they're never going to give him something outer half of the plate that he can just stick the bat head out let the velocity do the work, flip it over the second baseman. They're never going to do that. So I think he's just figured out that, okay, they're going to try and beat me in. I need to be more aggressive than they are. And if you've noticed, a lot of his hits have come to left field. He's just turning on stuff. So I think he's just figured it out mentally not to be on his heels to maybe have the pitchers play into his hand. So scouting reports are going to change for him, and that might make him that pesky Late September, October hitter that could do a lot of damage just because scouting reports are going to be, you know, they're going to be a little off base. It's going to be attack, but he's ready. So the approach of a pitcher is going to tell you a lot in the first two pitches and what they're going to do about him because now that he's ready for the inner half, because that's what he's been doing, it opens up the outside corner again, but that's not necessarily something you want to give him because that's what he's good at. Right. So he's really. It's like the way Lance McCullers turned a corner and finally using all of his pitches rather than just saying, you know what, here's this breaking ball, try and hit it, you can't. Well, wait a minute, now guys are starting to figure out that if I'm not controlling that, then I'm not going to be doing well and they're going to be just looking for the fastball. Well, I'm going to work in a changeup now so they can't just look for those two pitches. Suddenly he has an ERA around two because he changed their scouting report on himself. He's no longer a two-pitch guy. He's working it all over the zone with multiple pitches so the same things I think are happening it's just for young players like something just clicks for them and they get to a point where they're beating their own scouting report and so guys have to figure out a different way to get them out
1: so would you attribute Marwin's success this season and and to a lesser extent Jake Marisnik's success this season at the plate you know they both improved um really in all statistical categories would you attribute that to a you know, adjusting the scouting report on them, changing their swing
2: plane. I mean, why have they been better this year and more consistent for the Astros? It's hard to have good scouting reports on guys that don't play every day. So Marwin was really hot for a while, right? But then he was playing too much and guys started to figure him out. Word travels so quickly in the league. In college, you still get scouting reports. They're not quite as detailed, but word spreads so quickly. Like if you find out that, Someone can't hit a breaking ball. The league knows it within a week.
3: Just to add to that, the biggest change for Marwin, <clears throat> the biggest change for Marwin this season is that he stopped swinging at curveballs. Period. Interesting. I wrote about it.
2: Is that Statcast that you found that out?
3: Fangraphs.
2: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. See, there's stuff like that that you could look. Fangraphs. No, you're right. Fangraphs and
3: uh, Baseball Savant, run by our good friend Darren Wilman. Right. Uh, great Twitter that, follow, by the way. Great Twitter follow, uh, Darren Wilman. He. um yeah, I just looked up the number of – this was first half of the season. Maybe it was only the first two months of the season even. But when Marwin was at his hottest, it was because he strictly was not swinging at curveballs, just like you were saying, Derek, that when they figure out, oh, this
2: is a weakness of his. keep Pick it up. Well, scouting reports, they change really quickly. Like I'm trying to think, do you remember Brian LaHare? He was with the Cubs like five years ago, a left-handed hitter. Uh, first baseman he led the league in home runs at one point and that was the first half of the season and then all of a sudden in the second half he didn't even hit his weight and he was back to triple a and he's never going to get another shot again because they found out quickly that he can't hit a breaking ball
3: i'm sure he was on
2: one of my fantasy teams back then. <laughs> he might have been he was incredibly hot he was like the cubs only good thing happening when i think it was jeff samarja and, uh, yeah, another it, guy that the Astros were rumored to make a deal for, right, like the, but Jeff Samarja was the only thing the Cubs had. And all of a sudden the hairs here and it's like, Oh, wait a minute. He could be part of a trade to get somebody new, but then he totally fell off in July. Because people figured him out. I mean, we're starting to see that, honestly, with Aaron Judge. I
1: mean, his, his numbers are exactly. tanking, but I mean, he was the MVP, unanimous frontrunner, and now the betting odds show that Jose Altuve is the guy. Uh, Mike Trout has even passed
2: Aaron Judge in the betting odds. I mean, Judge is hitting below 300 now. It's I a mean- total misconception that guys are going to pitch to their own strength. They're going to pitch to batters' weaknesses, especially for guys like Aaron Judge.
3: Except for Lance McCullers. You know, it's interesting the way you just phrase that because Lance on the record multiple times has said
2: I pitch to my strengths. And that's why he runs into trouble at times because now hang on, you're going to need to listen to Brian McCann, who knows the hitter better so, than you do. So Hunter, a few weeks ago on the podcast, uh, when we talked when you were in Detroit,
1: McCullers, you had said, wasn't necessarily coachable. and That you had heard talk of that in the Astros locker room in the clubhouse. I can't. I can't say where her, the, or, or her, the, no, her, I, I heard that. Yes, that I, I get that. But yes, that he's. I mean, he's not coachable. But but do you think maybe this stint on the DL is kind of an eye opening? Because you know we all use quotation marks. You know, when for it his back quote, to discomfort. discomfort, right? Sure. Do you, I,
0: do you think not?
3: that can? Oh, he, he, well, I mean, it's probably in concert with uh, him plummeting, right? And you're not going to demote the guy, obviously. The demotor, no, they they these they're definitely rapidly trying to build him back up. Right. Right. Uh, sure. I, I. I mean, I don't have enough experience, tr- truth be told. Whether it's playing like Derek or talking with enough coaches or managers or players, even to know if a mental break on the DL is a time where you have so you experience some catharsis. I don't know. Uh, but they didn't have a choice. They couldn't let him keep going out there and you know imploding like that.
2: He kind of started overthrowing. I don't know if you noticed, but it, when. You're searching for answers, especially as a young player. You kind of just think, well, I'm going to throw harder. I'm going to make my curveball nastier. And what happens is you throw a lot of balls because you can't control it when you're just rearing back and firing. So I think that happened with him a lot. So if he did actually have back discomfort, that's why, as he started to overthrow. You hear it with Justin Verlander, too. Like he was, They always were saying to him, don't overthrow, because he'd go out there and he'd just become... Like, oh, my God, I'm just going to blow it past you. We're just going to get quick outs, strikeouts, and it's pull back the reins. We need you to last a little bit longer. Right. We need some longevity. And he might have got away from that a little bit just because, you know, he had a couple bad starts where it became a funk, and then it turned into an entire month.
3: Let's finish up the Astros on this point, just because we've talked about them for a long time. Sure. We, we're in consensus about the way they are right now. You know, the schedule does not favor them this month. Right. They're going to hit next week on the road and then at home the diamondbacks look at how they close out the season in away at fenway at fenway I, I know i know but that but that but that's more than a month away that's like 6 weeks away i'm i'm just trying to keep it <clears throat> even in the short term in the funk that they're in they're going to run into the diamondbacks they get hopefully for them or they would hope an easy matchup against the athletics next weekend but then nationals. they got to face the nationals yeah. Uh, and the Angels have played the Astros pretty hard this year. And then mm-hmm. they have Mike Trot back.
2: Yeah. yeah. And it's then, worth noting, the August is a home month and September's a road month. They only have one week at home or 10 game, 10 days at home during September. So it's definitely a tough one. I'm impressed that tennis. you knew that off the top of your head. Yeah. I'm very impressed. Eric. Yeah. You just have to look at there's, there's home months and there's road months.
3: That's just how it works. But yeah, this August is the, uh, the August schedule reigning. is going to be really tough on them. So I think get it going. I think that gives you a lot of confidence heading into September and hopefully
1: October. Or the
3: or or the opposite, Austin. I know you're speaking like a fan. Like hopefully it gives you confidence that you could you know you beat these teams. But dude, it easily could be the opposite. It could be that yeah.
1: I mean the Red Sox are what six games out for the for the top seed. Granted the Astros do have a double digit lead in the West. Stranger things have happened. It's
3: no they're they're going to go to the playoffs. But all of our discussions for the last two months. How can they do and how can they perform? Yeah, the that's, and our discussions right. about the trade deadline were all about, okay, you, know, you want this guy because you want him to be you know, a much better third starter than the team has. Da, da, da. I mean, everything with this team has been about can they win the World Series? And there's no indication right now with how they're playing that they could, I don't think they could get out of the
2: ALCS right now. But as I mentioned, Cubs did the same exact thing last year. So there's no need to right, sound the so siren. a few weeks ago, you went on the record saying the Astros were going to get a reliever. Are you saying the Astros are going to be the Cubs this year? There's a chance. I'm telling you there's a chance. All right. It, it, I like cautious, your optimism. Cautious optimism. That's the way Cubs fans have lived <laughs> for years. Astros fans take notes. Cautious optimism. Derek is from uh, Illinois, from, yeah. if anybody yeah. didn't know.
1: All right, so I guess let's quickly pivot over to the, uh, the Texans. I'm, I'm not sure how much... How closely either of you watched the uh, the preseason game the other night? But the uh, Deshaun Watson looked good. Oh my God! You Grand, know, he's they, playing they,
3: against the second second string team. How how hilarious, Derek? Is it that the like just the giddiness and the pressure of the fan base always in every sport to anoint, propel, and lust it's over the young player? It's preseason. I get
1: that, but at the end of the day, this is a franchise that for the last fifteen years is classic. This is classic. The best quarterback. This is classic.
2: Though. classic. But, like, let's just be realistic. He saw, you know, it's not the same 53 he's going to see on a Sunday. Right. So, like, when you say, okay, he had a touchdown 15 of 25, I think he was for X amount of yards, great. He, he made but some poor throws just just as well. Look at, yeah, just look at what he did. It's very raw. Just look at his practice. Just but,
3: Derek, I, I mean, can't you imagine pairing him up with a guy like, 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 like DeAndre Hopkins? Just how, how, can you talk about how great that would be?
2: Thank you, Berman, for uh, stopping through the studios. We appreciate that. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm not under the impression that we can say a whole lot about him yet. Yeah, I really, I, I don't want to do
1: anoint him as like the starter. And I, I know there were some, you know, people this week on social media saying that if Bill O'Brien doesn't start him, he should be fired, which is absurd. Uh, Tom Savage is a game manager. He doesn't turn the ball over. He's going to start the season.
3: Oh, awesome, but if but if it, but then why is it that you immediately brought up because
1: Austin? with such positivity, Derek's network. Has talked about Deshaun Watson all week, and so I, I, am not like you know making you no, the no. voice of the network, but no, no. that's what the NFL loves is they love a quarterback controversy or manufacturing a quarterback controversy, and I feel like in Houston right now, I, I think Deshaun has progressed. I don't think he's ready to start, like you suggested, but why is it that so many fans get on this? We have to start. Deshaun Watson. Why, why do the
2: networks, the media kind of jump on that as well? It's funny. I've, I've talked about this before. Houston fans, specifically Texan fans, have wanted to be in the national spotlight for so long. They feel like they deserve it. They got it. They have the most prestigious quarterback battle happening only because they're a two time defending divisional champion. Do the Bears have a quarterback controversy? Well, Technically, because Glennon looked terrible, right? And Trubisky looks okay. But the Bears are going to be terrible and everybody knows it. The Texans are supposed to be good. So when you're trying to pick a quarterback to lead that team, it brings a ton of attention. And it's exactly what Texan fans want. And now they want people talking about it and they want to have their own words heard, right? So its I don't know. It's exactly what people want. But now that we're here, it's a lot more uncomfortable than I think people thought it would be. Yeah, And we've had John McLean on the show several times. And McLean has said since day one,
1: the guy who's starting is savage. Unless he gets hurt, Watson's not going to play.
2: Here's the problem. Let's just say, and I have no idea. Let's just say Deshaun Watson wins the position throughout the preseason and training camp, right? Like he's the obvious, more talented player. How do you tell your team going into week one that the least talented quarterback on the roster is your starting quarterback. Well, because I like, yeah. you're, you're protecting him for the future, but how do you justify that, that you want to win if you're not going to start your best player? Well, at the same time, we've
1: heard Hopkins...
2: This is hypothetical. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's, that's fair. Um, and the Hopkins quote, I think, was taken out of context. Really? Because Savage doesn't get the praise that he's probably due because Deshaun Watson is such a figure, right? Like, look at their Twitter followings. Are are more people going to want to talk about Tom Savage, who has like 16,000 followers, or Deshaun Watson, who has like three-quarters of a million? So what's going to get more pull? So I think a reporter asked him, you know, all this talk about Deshaun Watson, what do you think about Savage? Hopkins gives his praise, saying that I've been around so many quarterbacks, he's got it. He took it out of context and said, Savage should be the starter. I think that's what happened, honestly. We didn't hear it. It wasn't audio. It seemed to be a close interview um i forget the espn reporter that did it but it didn't seem like it was he was the only one that had it so it was like a closed interview like he just caught him one second like phrased the question away to talk about tom savage reporters clever enough to phrase it in a way that you could make it more about john watson because you're going to get more pulled that, that's that way. very interesting because I, I i hadn't
1: heard that take Like, honestly, I'm
2: fairly certain that's what happened.
1: That's a very fair take. I I think so. And, you know, he's sticking up for the guy who he thinks is probably going to be named the starting quarterback. Maybe that gives him an extra boost of confidence.
2: I don't know. I don't think it's wrong to say that. I know that's pretty mean or even, you know, I don't want to say it's defamation to that reporter, but (laughs) it's it's uh, it's bold to say that. But I definitely feel like that's what happened. If you look what Hopkins said, I forget the very specific how he worded it. But to me, I'm, I'm reading it because the headline was very, very bold also. So I, I go read his quotes, and the first thing I think is that was not a question generated. Should it be Watson or Savage? That was, we don't hear much about Tom Savage. How's he doing? Hopkins sings his praises because nobody else does. Yeah, so here's the exact headline. It says, DeAndre Hopkins endorses
1: Tom Savage as Houston Texans quarterback Oh, uh, the horror! Right, right. And right. mean, a quote was saying, uh, "If anybody should be a judge of quarterbacks, I've played with the most quarterbacks in NFL history. That's probably a, f- a fair point. Like ten quarterbacks it's, in three yeah. years. Uh, but yeah, so it, it, it does sound when, when when I hear you say that you're just giving him a vote of confidence.
3: You know, that don't look down on this guy, Austin. What up? What are the expectations of Texans fans this year? I, I really don't even know. I mean, if you ask. That's such a
1: great conversation. It's interesting because if you ask a lot of Texans fans, I think they're going to expect you to go to the postseason. 10, 11, 12 wins, somewhere in that range. They think the defense is all world. I think the defense last year statistically, in, in terms of points allowed, was the number one ranked defense. In terms of overall defense, I don't know that they were yeah, top but, but, five but, last year. But
3: making the playoffs, well, there's no way that, I, that's I, I the minimum. I,
1: I don't even know. Th- I don't even think they're the favorites to come out of the AFC South. I, I mean, from a gambling perspective, and I'm looking at like Vegas odds. Uh, Texans aren't your favorites. That's the Titans. Yeah, and I would. Ag- I would agree. Just mm. away from the odds, I think the Titans are better. Mm. They have they have a great running game. They've got a, a good young quarterback if he could stay healthy. Um, their defense is stepping up. I mean, look at it. Last year they were. Using a backup quarterback, and they were one game away from going to the postseason. In fact, I think they tied with the Texans with the best record in the AFC South, but the Texans had the tiebreaker. And then, of course, Andrew Luck—he hasn't even
2: thrown yet. But for Mariota, don't say if he could stay healthy because it's a broken leg. It's not like he's got like, you know what I mean? Don't. I right, feel like that's right. very damning to put it that way. That,
1: that's fair, but he's also—he's not built like a Jameis Winston, who's you no. know two hundred and thirty-pound quarterback. He's smaller. He's more fragile. He's built more like RG three, whereas you know, Marriott is going to slide and and not avoid, or he's going to avoid those hits that, you know, RG3 consistently got into. I I still think you have to worry about his size as a starting quarterback
2: in the league. The FC South is exciting this year, though, period. Well, what happens? You've got the Jaguars with, you know, Leonard Fournette and all the big signings. They have Bortles, which is, you know, really a a problem. But then also it's probably the year that people stop making excuses for Andrew Luck. It's the year where the Titans are supposed to take another step, where the Texans are are supposed to take another step. If if
1: you're a Colts fan, are you concerned that Luck is even going to be able to start the season?
2: Yeah, it doesn't seem like he will be anyway.
1: I mean, that's something that the national media has just not talked about a whole lot.
2: Well, AFC South is small market teams, but they've got some pull this year. I'm telling you, it's a good year to, to look at these teams and think, okay, something could come out of it rather than your typical well, the Texans took the division, everyone else was mediocre, the Jaguars are like the Browns. It's going to be different, I think.
3: Who are considered, I mean, I'm going to admit to my ignorance that I haven't paid much attention, but who, who are considered the favorites, the two favorite teams?
2: In the AFC? Yeah.
3: Right
1: Patriots. Now. A lot of people think the Patriots could okay. potentially run the table. I don't
3: mean to dwell on this too much. I'm just
1: curious. Uh, and, and the other team would be Oakland. Really? Oakland, yeah. Is there I would, two? Mm-hmm. I mean, look mm-hmm. at it. Last year, they were probably the only team that could contend. With the Patriots until Derek Carr went I, out. I, I okay.
2: Realistically, the Texans probably don't get to the next round if, I mean, the the Raiders were using a third string quarterback. Right, right. right they right. probably beat a second string, but if it's Derek Carr, I would. I mean, they lost him in Mexico City. Yeah, right. I would venture to say that Texans don't make it very right. far in the playoffs. Right.
1: I mean, we'll see. I, I'm excited that football's here. It's less than a month away. Uh, college football is just a few weeks away. And Hunter, you're going to a game. Uh, when is that? I think it's like. September 19th. Okay. Yeah, it's Baylor, Great. Oklahoma. We, we've got... Uh, I didn't realize
3: the drive was so far. It's,
1: I it's two and a half hours. That's not bad. Really? I could make it in 205. Oh, I
3: thought it was much farther. Okay. I, feel I, I can make it in 205. Great. Yeah, even better. I'll ride on the roof like uh, Mitt Romney's dog.
1: All right. So one last thing that I want to want to touch on real quick on the NFL, Jake Cutler, do you guys hear some of the comments that he made earlier this week about uh, when somebody asked him, you know, you announced your retirement, you've been on vacation, you've been in Mexico. Like, do you feel that you're in game shape, you know, uh, to get ready? And his response was, well, uh, the good thing is I play
3: quarterbacks. You don't really have to be in great cardiovascular shape. I mean, (laughs) he's the best. He's so funny. He's such a grouch. You could speak to this, Derek, as a Bears fan, but, uh, I, since I don't have a, a quarterback in this fight, I've always liked this guy. I found him hilarious.
2: That's probably not what you want a quarterback, but. Yeah, being from Chicago, it's fun <laughs> to hate him. Like, people love to hate him. Right. He was, he's really not that bad. He's the Bears' all time leading passer. I know that that's not that's saying not, a whole lot yeah. because the Bears haven't had a quarterback, but if you put his numbers next to Ryan Tannehill's, they're the exact mm. same. Like, his touchdown to interception. Like, I mean, I think if you ask most GMs in the league last year, salary aside, who you would want as your starting quarterback, Cutler or Tannehill, there's they,
1: a lot of people that wouldn't want Tannehill. I yeah, mean, he hasn't really
2: developed and progressed. Their QBRs are the same. Yeah, the only thing different between the two is you expect Tannehill to improve, whereas Jay Cutler, you don't teach an old dog new tricks. So, I mean, people love to hate him. I kind of did at one point, but at this point... I'm more along the lines of thinking that he's really not that bad, and I think that he fits well with Adam Gase. He had one of his best seasons with Adam Gase. That might work, and people probably don't like to hear that. And I mean, you don't have to
3: be in shape to have a good connection with a coach.
2: <laughs> totally fair. So Astros
1: are struggling. Football's here to uh, almost give us a reprieve. Uh, but Is that, the only
3: thing about college football you wanted to mention was that I'm going to a game with you?
1: Dude, I'm stoked.
3: I'm stoked. That's, that's
1: the only reason you wanted to bring it up on the podcast. No, I, I, I know you don't like college football compared to the NFL. And I yeah, I actively I dislike that.
3: it. It, st- it still perplexes well, me why the sport is so I'm popular. Excited,
1: I'm excited for you to experience a tailgate, to experience the pageantry surrounding college athletics.
2: I struggle with it because you know people lose their minds over 19- or 20-year-old kids. I was one of those 19- or 20-year-old well, kids. Well,
3: Austin's got the Little League World Series, so he's losing his mind over 11- and 12-year-old kids. <laughs> <But> <laughs> the,
2: pod, the pod listeners
3: hey. can't even see this warmed-over bottle <laughs> of Luberderm <laughs> next to his couch. Oh, my God. To
1: be fair, though, I was not the one giving the, uh, the esteemed analysis.
3: No, you were too I, caught pitching. up in the emotions of it all. Dude, I've got five grand on this game. So. Hey, it won't be bet. the last time that Austin puts up money for kids. You've got to bet big to win big. Okay, what? Ouch. Derek, don't act like you wouldn't know with your family history.
1: It oh. would not be a podcast without
2: mentioning Jared Fogle. Well, yeah, it's awful that you guys always insinuate that because it's false. <laughs> it's fake news. <laughs> All right, guys, it's
1: uh, it's been great having you uh, stop by the studios this week. And uh, just for the listeners out there that uh, might not follow you guys already on social media, and they, they should, first off, uh, what are you guys
2: working on this week, and how can our listeners follow you? At Fogel said what? F-O-G-E-L said what on Twitter? You, can you got... enunciate
3: a little more? It's at Fogel said
2: what? wasn't like, he said what? Yeah, there you go. What did I, How did I it's say just, it?
3: It's a little fast. A little fast. I'm it's, not it's sure people deepness, can... It's
2: the bass coming out in his voice. Ah, okay. Yeah.
1: yeah. Vogel that's said all, what? That's, that's really okay. all I've got. <laughs> so, what, what, what,
2: what, what are you working on with uh, Sports Radio 610? Uh, well... Astros are back in town next week. And then, of course, the Texans have their home preseason game. So we've got a lot going on with that. I, of course, will try to ignore it so I can pay more attention to the Astros. (laughs) Just being honest. And also, if you want to listen to Derek's show
1: on on Sunday, he actually does talk – Baseball. I actually texted him last Sunday <laughs> after uh, they were talking about Jason Verlander and I was like, "Hey, great segment." He's like, "You know, I didn't really think it was that great." I'm like, "It was just—it was so nice to hear baseball talk on Sports Radio 610." And not knocking any of you know the hosts on 610, you know that we've had on the show, but there's only so much Texans that I can hear on my drive to work. I think a lot of people feel that way. Yeah, just throwing that out there, mm-hmm. and not knocking Sports Radio 610. But no, thank no, you for talking baseball. I don't take it personally. That. Yeah, you're welcome, Hunter. Tell us about. Uh, what you're working on this week?
3: Nothing too special. I'm covering the game on Thursday against the uh, Diamondbacks. Uh, other than that, I'm working on some long-term stuff that I, I cannot divulge just yet. I'm excited. That that sounds all, very uh, intriguing. Yeah, I've always got something. Can, like, can you give us
1: a little tease? What, what
3: sport? There's Yeah, there, there's, a, no, there's a player in the Astros who has not received a lot of publicity, who is an enormous star,
2: and and... The, the right story about him just hasn't been told yet. You know what I'm disappointed is that I didn't get a story out of you about the Japanese reporters that were all here just to cover norishike Ayoki. He gets traded, and then the press box is so empty and quiet because like six or eight Japanese reporters no longer a, no, seats. I, you,
3: you joke, I actually tried to write a story. Do you remember this? Did no, I I'm not this? joking. I wish no, I but could I have I that. But I did try to write a story about the Japanese media following him before he got his... Uh, 2000th career hit, which, which puts put him in it, the Hall of Fame. And apparently, uh, it's not yeah. the Hall of Fame. Apparently, this is like we. Is it like the Ring of Honor or something? Yeah. yeah. Uh, no. Apparently, we as like ignorant gringos conflated it to be Japan's version of the Hall of Fame. It's not. It's just a club. It it's, it's like a club where you've gotten so 2000 it's, hits. It's, it's like not, literally the 2000 hit club. Yeah. It's not. It's not the Hall of Fame, which okay. is a separate thing in a different part of Japan. I was told. Interesting. So no, I really wanted to write a whole story about how. Yeah, fans wouldn't know, but there were as many as, at one point, like 12 Japanese reporters exclusively in Houston, exclusively to cover him trying to get his 2000th hit. And I really wanted to do a story about this because I thought it was fascinating. No Japanese media was comfortable speaking with me. And I, I don't, I'm not trying to project. It's not like I understand Japanese culture at all. But it was, ext- they were, it was as if I was asking them about how their parents were killed. They were so immensely uncomfortable with me asking them about themselves, asking them about following him around about how this process works, you know are you do you get stationed in Houston in an Airbnb for months until he get I, I had th- tons of questions they were they were, were reviled, reviled when I approached them and asked them any questions about themselves i about didn't know that. interesting yeah, it was really strange. I'd never had this happen before I, tr- I was I was extremely polite about it, of course, but yeah they were it was. The most uncomfortable I've ever made someone, which is saying a lot.
2: Mm, disappointing.
3: Yeah. I, well, I'm looking forward. I wish you would have written that story. <laughs> I wish you would have written Let's that story. Let's look forward story. to a story I, I haven't written and won't write. But, I, I, uh, I
1: wish you would have written that story because, you know, when I was in Japan back in uh, late March, early April, it was their spring training. Uh, for the... actually Austin Pong Staten League. loves baseball so much I and he went to Japan <laughs>
3: to see their spring training.
1: <laughs> I did not see a spring training game, but when I was at the, uh, the Tokyo Narita Airport, uh, they had baseball on TV, and there were crowds of people just huddling around the TV to watch a spring training
3: baseball game. You I don't no dispute have that, that the sport is popular, though. No, I, I, I'm just flummoxed as to right, why. Right, and that's why it
1: would have been These people were horrified to, when I asked them yeah, about it, simply it, covering The Astros. Yeah, it would have been fascinating to hear that angle. But I'm also looking forward to uh, reading the upcoming work that you guys have. But uh, again, Derek, Hunter, thanks for stopping by the studio this week. Appreciate it. Closing time. Thanks again to Hunter Atkins and Derek Fogle for joining us here in studio, talking a little Astros baseball. And uh, Jeremy, I know you're not... Diehard baseball fan. And that's something that I think we've mentioned no less than 100 times on this podcast. But uh, you were actually able to uh, listen to the interview. Uh, What did you think?
0: Um, what struck me the most was the fact that here, we're, here we get... I played Little League Baseball, okay? I, <laughs> I know, listen, when you're out there and you're 12 years old, you're playing your heart out. You may not be the best, but at least you're out there playing, right? And you're putting everything into it. Derek is like a guy who walks into an art classroom, like like a fifth grade art, art classroom, and is like, I can draw better than that. <laughs> but it was really funny hearing that. Hot take. Yeah, right? No, overall, fantastic interview. Great analysis. Um, certainly... Uh, you know, just
1: hearing you guys talk about it makes me more excited for baseball than I otherwise would be. Yeah. And the Astros uh, hoping to rebound Uh, as we are currently recording the podcast. The Astros are playing uh, the Texas Rangers in game three of the series, and they are currently up one to nothing. Uh, Then they head to uh, Arizona for two games this week. And then uh, Arizona comes here for two games on Wednesday and Thursday this week. So uh, let's hope the Astros can turn things around. But uh, Jeremy, I want to move on really quickly to uh, a subject that's, a little bit more sensitive, if you will. And uh, Saturday, um, it was reported that uh, there was a terrorist attack, a domestic terrorist attack in uh, Charlottesville, Virginia. Uh, there was protesters. I guess there was a white nationalist rally, uh, Five, 6,000 uh, members of the Klan, uh, several white supremacist organizations. There were counter-protesters. Violence broke out Saturday at some point. Uh, And then a member who was sympathetic toward the white nationalist movement uh, sped up his car, drove it into a crowd on a street full of protesters, killing one. And the president had some comments afterwards. Um, He condemned the attack, uh, but he also had a qualifier. And that was saying that there were many sides essentially involved I think the president made a mistake. I think that he was one right to condemn the attack. But I think he should have left out many sides. When one group kills somebody, you've got to call them out by name. Call out the white supremacists. Call out David Duke. Disavow them. These are his supporters. We've texted about this Saturday, Sunday at Jeremy, I'm kind of curious, you know, you've had, what, 24 to 36 hours to kind of process everything. Uh, What are your thoughts?
0: Um, So on the face, I agree with you that he should have called out the white supremacists, they're clowns, they're idiots. Um, Obviously, you know, Richard Spencer, David Duke, all these people, I I don't take them that seriously. Um, What's concerning, though, is, you know, I I, I don't have a problem at, at face value with his statement, because the reality is, it wasn't just the white supremacists they were protesting. And the counter-protesters, the, the mainstream media, really didn't name who they were. And there, m- many of them but are made does up. Does that matter? It does. It why does, why does it because matter? Because they're not marching for equality either. Um, Antifa, the anti-fascists, as they're so-called, um, they were they, both, both sides were responsible, had, had, a, had a part in that violence that took place. Now, yeah, the but guy... It, but like, if you read the New York Times,
1: the, the New York Times article on it, which also appears on the front page of the Chronicle mentions, you know, all organizations further down in the story, but they call out the violence, the murder that happened, the domestic terrorism that happened. Why, why didn't Trump call a spade a spade? I mean, if it, if it was Muslims, he would have done it. Well,
0: okay, so I don't think it's, you know, some people are calling it a domestic terrorist attack. I, I'm, I think more has to come out about this guy. Um, before I'm comfortable calling it that, but a horrible... Before you're
1: comfortable calling it domestic terrorism? Yeah, before I'm comfortable right, calling so really it quickly, domestic terrorism. The yeah. U.S. Code of Federal Regulations defines terrorism as the unlawful use of force and violence against persons or property to intimidate or coerce a government, the civil population, or any seg- segment thereof in furtherance of political or social objectives. No, and I... How does that not fit that qualifier?
0: Well, I, I would like to know what his intentions were. And and that's... And it's pretty, it's pretty clear at this point from what we know about the guy, but I just want to have a little more information... Because if we're using that definition alone, then you can call a lot of things terrorism that we you normally can. don't consider terrorism. I mean, if we look at Antifa and their and and their tactics across all you know college campuses, things like that, any, any place like where Ann Coulter shows up, you know, they show up and threaten violence and force until people are bent to make their you know to to meet their demands. My, my point is that. I don't think the president was wrong to say many sides. I think he should have, and this is where we agree. I think he should have qualified his statement. I think he should come out and make another statement. I think he should condemn the white supremacists and distance himself and anything that he said from them, and then also condemn Antifa and what they do on on college campuses and at town hall rallies. I I think there's a time and a
1: place to condemn all groups that promote hatred, but yesterday was not the time and place to do it. Yesterday was the time and place to call a spade a spade, call out the white supremacist.
0: Yeah, but you can, but you, but you can call out both. That's my point. I, 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 don't think you have to be exclusive about one just because the feeling of the moment in the media is to call out the so, white supremacist. Uh, I,
1: I think that this is probably comments from Steve Bannon. in In, in my my opinion, I, I think that. His daughter and his wife actually had better statements. Ivanka Trump said uh, on on Sunday morning, there should be no place in society for racism, white supremacy, and neo-Nazis. We must all come together as Americans and be one country united. So that's what she sent out on Twitter on uh, Sunday morning. And Melania Trump sent out a tweet on Saturday saying, Our country encourages freedom of speech, but let's communicate without hate in our hearts. No good comes from violence. I think that's the message that you want to say. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. That's, that, but I think saying, but what I think when you say that the violence is a result of all sides, I think that's where you have issues coming in.
0: Right. Well, but it, it was. It was both sides because that's reality. That's what happened. It wasn't just white supremacists assaulting people. They were being assaulted, both of them. And here, here's the irony of all this. These people, the white supremacists and Antifa, the counter-protesters and the protesters, represent two sides of the same coin. They're both authoritarians. They both hate freedom. And they're really just competing for, you know, they're both competing for what seems like a power vacuum to them. And I I just, I I don't, like, I don't agree with either side in any conceivable way. So I'm I'm not quite sure why we would call out one and not the other if they're both perpetrating violence. Because one
1: group killed another group. And actually, I I think this is, Timely, Ari uh, Ari Fleischer, who Ari Flesher, uh, who was the chief spokesperson for the uh, the Bush administration, uh, for the for the press corps, sent out a series of tweets on Sunday. I am going to read them real quick. He said, "Why POTUS should have singled out the KKK and Nazis by name? These groups are different from other hate groups. They have killed millions. Put yourself in the shoes of someone black or Jewish. The Klan and the Nazis inflicted horrors on them and on those who care about them. Presidents must set a moral tone for their nation, and that's why the president failed us." Evil should be morally confronted directly. POTUS should have condemned them by name. Yes, even the Klan and Nazis have a right in the U.S. to peacefully march and assemble. If Black Lives Matter or Antifa engaged in violence, and it looks like they did, they too deserved condemnation by name. But it should have started with POTUS directly taking on the Klan and the Nazis. I should add, the police should not have let the groups get so close to each other. This too was a failure. So it seems like there was a failure on multiple accounts. And I I think that already hit it on the head. I I actually don't have a huge
0: problem with that. I mean, but at the same time, I mean, if you're going to implicate, you know, the neo-Nazis and uh, with the actual Nazis, then, I mean, you also have to implicate Antifa with the communists. And I will have you know that Stalin killed millions more than Hitler did, like by far. Okay. Like without without qualification. And communism is responsible for over 100 million deaths in the 20th century. I don't want to hear.
1: But my point is, I think Donald Trump should have done the right thing And called out the white supremacists, called out David Duke, who said on Friday that they are holding this supremacist rally so they can, you know, make Trump's agenda fulfilled. I mean, how effed up is that? Oh, I – listen –
0: this guy is such a clown. I don't take him seriously. I don't take him any more seriously than the fringy, than the fringy anti-Semitic BLM activists who talk about supporting Obama or who talked about um, you know, supporting Hillary Clinton. I, I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't dock Hillary Clinton any points because she had radical support on the left. Um, I, I, just, I, I think fringy people are going to say fringy things. That's what they do. Okay,
1: so here's a question for you. How do we move past this, and what is the right response to get rid of these hate groups whether they're on the right whether they're on the left i mean how can we truly get this country come together because i mean you know it seems like dr martin luther king in the 1960s it seems on paper that he made great strides but it seems like this hatred has been coming back you know the last 10 to 15 years like why why is this happening i don't think that it's honestly okay so
0: these groups existed under Bush, under Obama, under Trump. They existed long before any of the current, like w- w- what we're looking at they now. It seems like is they have more of new. a voice now. Well, they have more of a voice because the media is giving them a voice. The media gives them attention and gives them a platform every time they report on one of these incidents. We, the Nazis have been exposed, right? We know white supremacists are nasty and evil. Right. But but every time they get publicity, they get a platform. It's kind of like when it's kind of like Trump getting elected. it's like it's like it's like um, there's some news networks that won't name a school shooter when they commit or or a mass shooter. Like they won't give them that attention they crave. These people are kind of in the same vein. They want attention. They want people to look at what they're doing. And I I, like even us talking about it, like I think it's worth talking about because it's relevant. But like I don't want to give them any more attention than they deserve. Um, it's tragic that somebody died, but like I don't like they're they're so irrelevant in our society today. I mean, the KKK and those those organizations have been dying for decades. I mean, their 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 numbers have been dwindling. I don't see them as a as a for, as a like I don't see them as being resurgent in any way. I see them as they're dying and. We just happen to be looking in that direction right now. And it looks like it's a much bigger deal than it is. I think think most people don't agree with either side. I have faith, no, that, most totally Americans, right. I have faith that most Americans don't see either. I, I of these would like sides to think that most rational.
1: Americans are rational. Yeah. They have a good oh, moral absolutely. compass. Yeah. I don't there's I don't, always gonna be a few bad eggs, and especially with the way the media you know. is now, with you know, social media exposing this, giving people more of a platform. I think that causes some more issues than it probably should. Uh, and, and honestly, I think you could tie a lot of this, you know rise of hatred to social media because you know think about it like a lot of this has come on in the last like 10 years yeah well the coincidentally the, that aligns when Twitter started to come the internet around Facebook cre- came around the internet creates Reddit. echo
0: chambers right. where no other information get in where, where people actually used to have to arrange meetings to talk about their crazy views they can now buy a device for $100 at Walmart and head into a forum chat room and, 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 and incubate their craziness for years and years and years before they actually do yeah, something and they, they could do it with IP addresses that move around yeah, constantly I mean, so I mean, I mean, it's truly anonymous Look at the the James Hodgkinson guy who shot up the GOP baseball game. I mean, if you looked at his Facebook, this guy had been stewing on this stuff for years. You know, I didn't blame Bernie Sanders for what that guy did. I mean, I don't like some of Bernie's rhetoric, but I didn't blame him for what happened. That being said, I mean, yeah, the Internet creates these echo chambers where people people especially who are kind of cut off from society in meaningful ways who can kind of start rationalizing this is what i need to do to accomplish my objectives
1: yeah definitely a sad situation in in charlottesville and you know i hate to say it but it's this is something we've talked about like hatred terrorism what half dozen dozen times on this podcast i would like for it to end. but the world is a very, very dark place, and I, I, I hope and pray that you know rational minds prevail. Um, and I hope this is the last time that we have to talk about something like this on the podcast. Unfortunately, I don't think it will be, and and to me, that's that's heart wrenching. That's sad. It's 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 very unfortunate. I would rather just talk about sports, you know, happy things. Uh, let let's all come together and be happy. I mean, I I, I don't know. I I think. I don't know. Maybe, maybe it wouldn't be a bad thing if, like, you know, um, we just came together for once. You know, united around sports. I, I, I don't know. I'm kind of at a loss for words right now, but it is what it is. It's, it's a podcast. That's, that's how we do it. Well, that's what sports are supposed to be.
0: It's supposed to be a diversion. And uh, I, I, I think that with all the diversions we have coming up this fall, I think we're going to have plenty to talk about. That's not
1: um, the darker sides of society. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. Fair enough. Well, uh, Jeremy, I, I thought that was a good conversation. Um, you know, I th- I think we we have slightly different viewpoints on, um, you know, what happened. Not not we I, we both condemn what happened yesterday, and there's there's no debating that. I think we have oh, yeah. we have slightly different viewpoints on the response. Um, and I think for me, I come from it as like a, a public relations crisis communications response. That that that's that's the lens that I look at it. Um, And I I, I totally see your view. Um, Well,
0: and we both agree that Trump should have said more. I think he should have said more. I think that anybody, I mean, you have to call these people out for what they are and especially people who might sympathize with them from a distance they need to they need to they need to understand that on the left or the right they need to understand that this this kind of behavior in an open society not is acceptable. not it's not acceptable right. right because part of this is not it's not just about like law enforcement it's not about like cutting off their right to free speech this is where society has to step in and start using a little bit of shame and shame these people for what they are, and tell them that this is not acceptable in our society it 's the same thing that like companies do when companies advocate for social policy, right the government 's not making them do anything. This is, these are companies free to do what they want because they 're a free company they 're not under a government mandate
1: you know, to do anything um, they 're doing it to try to create inclusive environments right. for their employees and that's, that's, so they can come together, their, they can come to work as their best selves. Right.
0: that's their prerogative and as a society we have to we have to come together regardless of your color or race or background. If you agree that this is wrong, then you have to say something. Yeah, I agree. Um, I don't always think social media is the most effective place to say it. <laughs> I think you have to vote with your feet and your dollars.
1: And I, I think that's the best thing. If you yeah. disagree with something, go out there and make change politically. Yeah, exactly. Like run for local office. Don't be a slacktivist. R- run for <laughs> local office, get involved with your local... Pack, um, you know, at your office or uh, you know wherever you might find a pack. I mean, we have a pack at the company that I work at, and I'm involved with it. I, I think that's very important to have your voice heard. And unfortunately, money talks, and so you either have to get out there and vote, get out there and run for office, get out there and campaign for what you believe in. I think there's a right way to do it, and there's a wrong way to do it. Violence, of course, is the wrong way to do it. But hopefully, uh, the United States can move past this, and hopefully. Um, we could just have more trust. I think that's the most important thing. But uh, Jeremy, it's always great to have you here in studio uh, in Houston, Texas uh, for the Weekly Brew podcast. And uh, I always enjoy the conversation going back and forth. Absolutely.
0: Just a quick PSA for for, for our listeners anywhere and everywhere you are. You don't get to be both a Nazi and a proud American. We literally had a war about this. The whole world was involved. So, uh, that's a good one. where that's Twitter, right? No, that's I'm, I'm shamelessly stealing a meme off
1: Facebook. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> well, uh, this has been an uh, an interesting episode of uh, the Weekly Brew and again, this is episode 105 of the Weekly Brew podcast and uh, I just want to give a special thanks to Hunter Atkins and Derek fogel for stopping by the studio for a few moments to talk a little baseball, a little Texans. And uh Jeremy, I, I enjoyed the conversation today. It was it was great to have you on the show as usual. And uh, just want to encourage our listeners to follow us on our social media platforms. It's Weekly Brewcast on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and, of course, YouTube. And also, you can subscribe to our website at weeklybrewcast.com. But, uh, Jeremy, what do you have going on this week? Uh, going on this week, of course,
0: of course, Austin, you're going to roll your eyes here. This, this is the third to last episode of Game of Thrones premiering tonight. <laughs> As all fans, and I'm sure there are many of you in our audience who should take the time to, for a moment, get on your Twitter feed and shame Austin Staten for not watching Game of Thrones and participating in what is perhaps um, one of, watching one of the greatest shows on television. Um, I'll binge watch it at some point. Yeah, we got to see last week a major event happen. I'm not going to spoil anything, but dragons were used, and it was a big deal. Um, there were some memes going around about UAB football. Like, UAB football is back, and it was like, you know, with a Game of Thrones. Like, I like GIF. That. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was amazing. Um, apart from that, uh, pretty pretty standard weekend just watching the news for interesting stuff that pops up.
1: Well, hopefully, uh, hopefully it's a good week, and we will be back here soon with episode 106 of the Weekly Brew podcast. But on behalf of my guests and co-hosts this week, that's Hunter Atkins, Derek Vogel, and Jeremy Paxton. My name is Austin Statton. We'll see you next week.
0: You've been listening to
3: the Weekly Brew.